it is good to be back. Many of you made the journey to Camp Arrowhead last week. Uh, some of you for a day, some of you for a few days, and some of you, in fact, a good number of you came and just said, we're coming for the whole week. We're taking our family vacation in the summer, and we're going to be there from Tuesday to Sunday. Now, I can't speak for everyone, but I, I will say this. My faith was strengthened, and my hope and energy were restored. I was so blessed to reconnect with my seminary professor, Dr. Timothy Dwyer. Now, leading up to camp, I know I talked a lot about Dr. Dwyer. And you guys were probably like, I'm so sick of hearing about this camp. Right? I'm not going to come to camp because I'm sick of hearing Pastor Jason talk about it. That's, I don't know, maybe that was some of, some of you. But, you know, I was excited to have him as our speaker. And again, I can't speak for everyone. But I was even more challenged and more encouraged by what Dr. Dwyer brought to us than what even I expected. It was good. In fact, I took a few notes. Um, I, do, I do remember how to take notes from seminary. And uh, I took some notes. So, um, I took um, 48 pages of notes. I can't wait to share some of this with you. Oh, man. Yeah. It was good. It was really good. Well, I'm also excited because um, I actually videoed all of Dr. Dwyer's sessions, and he actually gave four messages in the morning sessions and six messages in the evening sessions. The morning sessions, he went through Romans. The evening sessions, he talked about engaging our divided culture. Good hmm. Man, was it good. I didn't necessarily agree with everything Dr. Dwyer said, but I so respected the perspective. I, it was like, hmm, hmm, it was good. Today I just want to give just a sprinkling of, of that, just to start. Uh, I, I am energized by where we're going, by where the Lord is directing us. Now, what I plan to do, just so you know, um, I plan this fall, when Sunday school resumes in September, what I would like to do with the adults. I can't speak to what's happening with the children. Pastor Sarah is helping organize that. But with the adults, what I want to do is take Dr. Dwyer's videos in Romans, and we're going to go through it. Because we went so fast uh, in the mornings, and there was so much information that it was like, I saw some people like they just shut up. Like it was just too much. I want to just go through what Dr. Dwyer shared with us, and I'm gonna, we're going to go through Romans in the fall. That's the plan. We're going to dig into Romans. We are going to dig in to God's Word in Romans. That's the Sunday school plan for the adults in the fall. I hope you are ready to engage. August last year, does anybody even remember a year ago? I barely remember. August last year, you maybe have forgotten this, but I'm going to remind you. I started a, a series of, of sermons on the Minor Prophets. Does anybody even remember that we went through the Minor Prophets? It was only a year ago, but we did. And we actually spent 12 Sundays. It started at the end of August, and we went all the way to the second week of Advent with these sermons from the Minor Prophets. Now, if you might remember, let me just give you a reminder of what we studied. And if you weren't here for those messages, you can always go on our website and you can actually watch them. Uh, we record these. We've been doing that since COVID with the live stream. So if you've forgotten these messages in the Minor Prophets, 
Go back and watch them. But here's what we studied a year ago. We had five messages from the book of Jonah. Do you remember? We talked about Jonah five Sundays. We learned that God had mercy on the city of Nineveh. Remember that? We learned that, that they deserved judgment, but they repented, and God relented. And we learned about we are supposed to have the Creator's perspective when we're dealing with people that are far from God. The Creator's perspective. Peyton is super excited about the Minor Prophets. I can tell. She's like, yes! Did you hear it? She's like, I remember. Oh, she wasn't around back then. Then next we spent one Sunday last year on the book of Nahum. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but I said in that sermon, if I ever preach Jonah, I learned this a long time ago, one of those things like when your parents do something and you say, I'm never going to do that to my kids. Remember that? And I, I said, long time ago, if I ever preach on Jonah, I will always make sure I preach one sermon on Nahum at the end. I said that a year ago. Because Nahum was a prophet who also went to the Ninevites. And Nahum went 150 years after Jonah, and his prophecy was, and the Ninevites will be destroyed. Thus saith the Lord. Because they had unrepented after Jonah, and then they were not going to repent again, and God judged them and destroyed them. Love and justice. The Creator's perspective and the Creator's prerogative. Then we talked about Obadiah. We had one message in Obadiah. And Obadiah was just a short one chapter about, and you might remember, Edom. And I talked about how Obadiah was giving God's message to Edom because Edom was a brother of Judah. And when Judah was destroyed... Edom plundered Judah. Now, you may not remember any of that, but you might remember this. Brothers fight. And it's, it's okay for brothers to fight, but if someone else picks on your little brother, remember that? You don't join in that. You defend your little brother. And Edom failed to act as a proper older brother. Sometimes brothers fight. But you stand up for your brother when someone else attacks. That's the message from Obadiah. And then we talked about Hosea. And I waited for Hosea until the kids went to Christmas program practice. Remember why? Probably not. Go back and read Hosea uh, and his wife. Remember that? Okay. Well, I'm not going to go into it because we don't have kids at children's practice. But Hosea, remember, was a prophet to Israel. He was a prophet in 755 B.C. And Israel had combined the worship of the true God with the worship of the Canaanite fertility god, Baal. And God said, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with you combining worship of me with worship of an idol. And then he made the prophet Hosea an object lesson. I'm glad I'm not the prophet Hosea. Go back and read it. It's interesting. God said to Hosea, you will marry this certain woman as an object lesson to my wayward people. Good stuff. And then we spent two sermons in Joel. Do you remember that? And we learned about the locust swarm that was destroying everything and the people always going to be lost in this 
natural disaster. And we were, we were trying to wrap our heads around, why would God allow this natural disaster to come on his people? And then in the middle of Joel, we realized it was God who was leading the locust army. It was God. Do you remember? So surprising as we think, doesn't God love us? Doesn't he protect us? And yet God himself led the locust army to destroy the people. And why? lead them to repentance. God brought the locusts. And of course at that time, COVID was still lingering. Of course it's still among us, but you know what I mean. And I suggested, I suggested, what if God brought COVID to teach us something? And then, Zechariah it was the Advent season, and Zechariah, we talked about the promised Messiah. And Zechariah was the message to the people to rebuild their holiness even as they rebuilt the temple. And then finally we ended in Malachi. And we were reminded to give God our very best. That was the 12 sermons that I preached in the Minor Prophets. Woo! Everybody loves the Minor Prophets. But wait a second, how many Minor Prophets are there? Well, well, I only preached on seven. I missed five. Guess what? It's time. It's time. Oh man, I'm excited. I'm excited to preach on the Minor Prophets. And you know, some of you are guests with me today, you're guests with us, and you're thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Well, it's only just begun. Hopefully I don't scare you away. But I believe that the Lord has called our church to study the book of Amos. And I am excited. Mm. So, Amos. Now here's the deal. Family camp, which I've already talked to about too much. But on the first night of family camp, Tuesday night, when the fewest people are there. But Tuesday night, Dr. Dwyer opened up with a message on Amos. And it just about blew my socks off. Not because Dr. Dwyer is great, but because God is great. Now, I've read Amos before, but it's always been like, wow, I don't know what's going on here, so uh, I'm not sure what to do next. But Amos, Amos is really powerful stuff. And that first message in Amos that Dr. Dwyer gave was epidemics, pandemics, and plagues in the Bible. And I found that sermon to be especially intriguing as we have struggled to wrap our minds around the events and divisions of our country for the past few years. This has reignited my passion for learning. I hope it will reignite yours as well. I'm excited to go on this journey with you because I believe in this. I believe that this is what is to direct our life. I've said this from the first moment I came to this church 16 and a half years ago. This is our standard that we live by. Not some opinion of some person in the media. Not of what some politician says. But about God. As revealed in His Holy Word. Are you ready to listen to what he has to say? Because it's going to be 
Well, even up, up to here. I am. Would you pray with me? God, please speak to us through your prophet Amos. Help us to understand for today what you gave to the Israelites many years ago. Speak to us through your holy word, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. So a warning. Our time studying Amos for the next few weeks is going to be open. Much of what Amos says is going to be not what you might want to hear. All the more reason we need to say it. We need to preach it. Well, I'm going to remind you about something. If you, Many of you, most of you were not there on Tuesday night at family camp, so the next little section is, is right in that first Tuesday night of family camp. So here, here's an introduction about Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets are number one, largely ignored in the church today. Amos is very likely not on your top ten reading list of biblical books. Does anybody even remember the last time you read Amos? Anybody? Anybody? Not very many. There's a couple of you that are doing the discipleship banding together journals that, that uh, maybe chose that section. <coughs> John, we're in Amos right now. Uh, Pastor Mike, you're in Amos. But uh, most of you probably don't even remember the last time you read Amos, or if, maybe you never have. The prophets are almost completely ignored in the church today. Now, I find that to be interesting because Jesus himself said, the law and the prophets will not pass away. In 2 Peter, the prophets, they're holy men that spoke as God moved them. In 1 Peter, the prophets were searching within themselves what the Holy Spirit was saying about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. The prophets are one of the most neglected and yet most crucial parts of the Bible. Why do we skip them? Because we don't understand what's going on when we read them. And so we, get, we read them and we're like, I don't know what's going on, so we basically stop. That's not good. Number two, when we turn to the prophets, we must remember that we are reading the very words of God. Amos doesn't say, I'm telling you something. Amos says, thus saith the Lord, and then there is a quotation mark. These are the words of God. They're not just us talking about God. These are what God said. The words that God said to his people, and to other people, and to us. Psalm 119 says, the teaching of the Lord is perfect. Do we, do we actually believe that we're supposed to live our lives by this thing? The answer is, yeah. Yeah. We believe that that is the source. The prophets, they address the changing situation of a tough time that they were facing. The prophets teach us, more than maybe any other book of the Bible, how to go through difficult, divisive times. 
in for a second. The prophets, maybe more than any other books of the Bible, teach us how to go through difficult, divisive times. That might be something we need to hear right now. And the prophets talk to us a lot about the way we, as God's people, need to respond and make a difference in a divisive world that has forgotten God. So what do we have to learn from this crusty old book we call the Bible, right? It's just ancient history. Well, it turns out I like ancient history. Do you? I hope so. You don't have to like ancient history to be a Christian, but it does help you understand the Bible. Now, I enjoy history because it's the story of God's interaction with us. I mean, the word history, his story, right? That's the word history. Who's the his? I'm going to suggest to you it's God. It's not man. Most people will tell you history is the story of man. I'm telling you history is the story of God's interaction with us. That's what history is, and that's why I find it so fascinating. And I'm reminded by a phrase, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. That actually was quoted in a 1948 speech by Winston Churchill. He was paraphrasing the American philosopher George Santayana. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Now why, in 1948, would Winston Churchill think that was the right thing to quote in a speech to the British Parliament? Because Europe was rebuilding after World War II. And you know what? They didn't do that well after World War I. That's why there was a World War II. So they didn't do it the same way after World War II. And it worked pretty well. The MacArthur Plan, all that kind of stuff, right? So he was saying, if you make the same mistake, you're going to get the same result. I mean, lots of proverbs, not biblical proverbs, but just life wisdom, revolves around this idea of not making the same mistake, the same mistake twice. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Right? Don't make the same mistake twice. Learn from your mistakes. Right? We all make mistakes, just don't do the same mistake twice. All of that requires that you understand history. I believe we have an opportunity to hear from God a message that will apply surprisingly similarly to us as it did to the ancient Israelites in the book of Amos. You see, as I study Amos, I see an uncanny familiarity with the situation that Amos saw in Israel as we see today. Now, Amos was not written directly to us. It was written to ancient Israel. And Israel was in direct covenant with Yahweh in a different way than he is in a relationship with the United States of America. But... The similarities of the circumstances are remarkably similar. As such, the warnings that Amos gave to Israel can be heard by us, and they ought to be heeded by us in a similar way. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time today giving you the historical context of Amos. The purpose of this, I'm telling you up front so you don't get lost in details. The reason why I'm doing this is that so you can see the similarities
similarities between the group of people Amos was preaching to with us. It's a very similar situation. But in the midst of all the detail I'm about to give you, I want you to hear this thing. So if you don't, if you don't remember anything else I say today, I want you to remember this. Ready? God is a roaring lion who judges, punishes, and destroys prideful, sinful nations. I'm going to say that again. Now, if you were at family camp, that's going to sound a bit familiar, but that's okay. I'm going to say it again. So if you the type of person that takes notes, write this one thing down. God is a roaring lion who judges, punishes, and destroys prideful, sinful nations. Yeah. Amos chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, one of the prophets of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash was king of Israel. Mike and Mike, would you please help me with something? Surely Dave isn't here to groan. I'm not sure how to take that. But uh, if Dave was here, he'd, he'd go, oh. <laughs> Here we have the timeline. For those of you that have never seen the timeline before, this is a series of sermons I preached a number of years ago. I mapped out the entire timeline to scale of all of biblical history and preached through it. So many of you have seen this, but there's a number of you that haven't seen it. And the last time you saw it has been a while, unless you've been part of my timeline small group. So, here it is, again. I'm going to grab a music stand here. So what you're seeing in front of you is the timeline of the Old Testament. The timeline, you guys can get tighter than that. You guys are out of practice. You've forgotten how to do this. The timeline of biblical history. <clears throat> Amos preached in 760 BC. 760 BC. Now, this is one of those gotta put your hat on and pay attention type sermons. It's not, it's not uh, going to be super easy to pay attention if you don't have the right mindset. Everybody got that? Like, we're going to learn some stuff today. Okay? Everybody got that? Okay. Yeah. This timeline here, just very quickly if you've never seen it, you can trace the genealogies of Genesis all the way back. You come up with Adam and Eve at about 4,000 B.C. Okay? So you're looking at 4,000 B.C. There's Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And all the way over here, that's when Noah was born. And all the way over here, that's the flood of Noah. The rainbow, by the way, remember what the rainbow actually means? Everybody got that? 
what the rainbow actually means biblically is God's judgment of sinful humanity. Everybody got that? That's 2294 B.C. Okay? You go further, at 2000 B.C., you've got Abraham and Sarah. So, that's Genesis chapter 12. That's only 12 chapters. Abraham. The covenant of circumcision. Isaac. Jacob. Joseph. You know what? You don't get out of Genesis until here. 400 years between Genesis and Exodus. Here's Moses, the story of Moses, second book of the Old Testament. So we've only made it through one book of the Old Testament. That's that. Here's Moses, Joshua. Here's the, the Ten Commandments are right here, the covenant that God made with Moses to the people of Israel. Then you've got the conquest of the land, because God had promised Abraham back here that they would have land and numerous descendants. Here's the conquest of the land. You can't see it, but that's a small sword uh, from the period of time. So Joshua. 1406 B.C. Then you've got the period of the judges. You don't realize it, but the judges take about 400 years. It's a long period. 400 years is a long time. How old is the United States of America? Yeah, well, we're less than 300. The period of judges is 100 years longer than how long the United States of America has been a country. Okay? Long. Then you've got the first king of Israel, Saul. The second king, King David. And right here you've got God making a covenant with David that he will be, someone on David's line will be an eternal king of Israel. Then you've got Solomon. And this is 1,050, uh, 1,000, and about 975 approximately, the three kings of the United Kingdom of Israel. And then, after Solomon, in 931 B.C., the kingdom split in two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Put that map on the screen, would you? There it is. The northern, this is a nerdy day. <laughs> we got the timeline and we got the map. You guys are like, oh my goodness, she could have been at the cabin this weekend. <laughs> There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You've got ten tribes in the north, you've got two tribes in the south. The southern tribes... <laughs> A descendant of David continued as a king of the southern tribes, but in the north, it was not a descendant of David. The northern kings were not descended from David, and they did not do well following God's covenant. The southern tribes didn't do a lot better, but they did do better. They had a couple of good kings. Hezekiah is one of them, Josiah is another. Now, it is this period of the northern and the southern kingdoms, the other split, here we have in 875, Elijah and Elisha. You read their stories in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, right? Then you've got over here where the prophets start. And the very first prophet, right there, there's Amos. 760 B.C. Are you getting a feel for where Amos is on the timeline? Now, all of the prophets, the 16 named prophets of the New Testament, or the, of the Old Testament, so you've got the, the four major prophets, and you've got the six, and you've got the twelve minor prophets, right? All of those sixteen start with Amos. Amos is the first. And all of them end by here. Right there, Malachi. Notice, here's the end of the Old Testament, right here. So Amos is not very far away from the end of the Old Testament. But I want you to know something else, and this is important. There's only two dates I've asked you to remember in the Old Testament timeline. Anybody remember what those two dates are? 
722 is the date of what? The Northern Kingdom was destroyed in 722 BC. The Southern Kingdom was destroyed in 586 BC. Those are the two dates. Amos was a prophet to the Northern Kingdom. Now, check this out. There's Amos. There's 722. Amos was a prophet to the Northern Kingdom in 760. Only 40 years later, Israel was destroyed. Jerusalem had the temple. And God had told all the Israelites that they were supposed to worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. But when the temple in Jerusalem, when the, when the nation split, the kings of the north didn't want their people traveling to Jerusalem anymore to worship. So you look at the map. Now you see where Jerusalem is? It's in Judah. Everybody see that? So when the kingdom split right here, the first king of the northern kingdom, his name was Jeroboam I, he decided that he did not want his people going to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. Because, think about it, if they were going down there, eventually they would probably give their allegiance to the southern kingdom and to the line of David. So instead of that, Jeroboam the first said, I will help everybody out. I will create two new places for people to worship in the northern kingdom. One of them was at Dan. Dan is way up in the north. See that? It says Jeroboam built a sanctuary. See that? Way over the north. The other one was at Bethel in the south. See how Bethel is way in the south of the green there? And it says Jeroboam built a sanctuary in Bethel. Jeroboam built those two sanctuaries and he said to his people, you don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore to worship God. Just go to either Dan or Bethel. It's so much easier to get there. You don't have to walk as far. And you can worship Yahweh, our God, who brought us out of, of Egypt with Moses and all that. You can worship Yahweh at Dan and Bethel. And just, just to make it even easier for you, we'll just, we'll just put a representation of God in those two places so that you can, you can be aided in your worship of God. In fact, we'll just make some golden calves. We'll make two golden calves. We'll put one in Dan and one in Bethel. And that will remind you that that is who God is. Does that sound familiar? Because that's exactly what happened right there. Remember that? See the golden calf story with Moses? And God killed everybody that, that worshipped the golden calf. Remember that? But the, the Israelites had made the golden calf not as a representation of a different God, but as a representation of Yahweh. But God said in the Ten Commandments, you will not have any graven image. There will be no image of me that you will worship. God had strictly forbidden that. And yet here we have the same exact mistake being made again. This time by a king who didn't want people to go to Jerusalem. He wanted them to go to Dan and to Bethel to worship. Don't go to Jerusalem. We are now a new, separate country. You know, some people never learn. Do they? Some people never learn. Now when Amos was preaching to the people of the Northern Kingdom, look where Amos is. Look how long that is. The people in the Northern Kingdom had already been worshipping at Dan and Bethel for 170 years before Amos comes on the scene to preach to them. 
That's 170 years from there to there. 760, 931. So when Amos comes on the scene, think about 100, what was our country doing 170 years ago? Civil War. <laughs> that's, that's a long time ago. Like a lot of stuff, there's a lot of stuff that happens in 170 years, isn't there? So Amos comes on the scene. And by the way, just a little side note. If that's not bad enough, they set up a golden calf, two golden calves. Do you know, the Canaanites that were in the land before, before Joshua conquered the land, the Canaanites worshipped a god called Baal. Baal was a fertility god. So what that means is, Baal's the god you worship to to make sure that your harvest is plentiful. Baal's the god you worship to make sure your flocks are plentiful. And quite frankly, Baal's the god you worship to make sure you've got lots of kids. Okay? Now, guess what the Canaanites' image of Baal was when they worshipped? A golden calf. How convenient. <coughs> so you got these people in the Northern Kingdom that are sort of covering all of their bases. Just in case Baal is real. Just in case. When we go to Dan and Bethel to worship um, Yahweh, just in case Baal is real, we'll also just sort of say that's worship to him too. That's called something. It's got a very specific name, and it makes God very angry. Syncretism. Syncretism is when you combine the worship of the true God with worship of something else. You put them together, and they turn into something new. God does not approve of that at all. Now, I know that's a lot of historical context, but I've got one more thing that's very important. Amos' ministry occurs during the reign of Jeroboam II. So remember, Jeroboam I is the one who was the first king and set up Dan and Bethel. Here is Jeroboam II. Nay, his namesake is literally this Jeroboam, right? But he's Jeroboam II. Now here's what's interesting about Jeroboam II. You go look at his story in 2 Kings 14 and in 2 Chronicles. You learn something interesting about Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was militarily successful in the early part of his reign. And what I mean by that is he expanded the borders of the northern kingdom of Israel to the same place that it had gotten during the time of Solomon, which was the golden age of Israel. And because he had been militarily successful, he was able to receive tribute from the nations that he had conquered all around. Now what's interesting about that, and why it's so important for our discussion today, is that that success was not just his success, it was success shared by the entire people of the northern kingdom. Let me translate that for you. The people were rich in the northern kingdom during the reign of Jeroboam II. They were prosperous. They had won all the battles. They had expanded all the stuff. They had money. They had means. They were the winners. And at the same time, Assyria, which was the big baddie up north, the one that Jonah went to in Nineveh, they were in a period of decline during this time of Jeroboam II. The northern kingdom of Israel... They were the superpower of that moment in history. 
They had just won a military battle all around them. They had no enemies that they were worried about. They were prosperous in ways that they hadn't seen all the way since Solomon. So this period of time from Solomon to there, this was not a great time. They were getting beat up all the time. They, they were getting conquered a lot of times. But at Jeroboam II, they regained the, where they were with Solomon. That's not familiar. You guys, it's us. It's us after World War II. It's where we've been for the last 70 years. The situation that Amos is preaching to is us in many ways. It's a, it's a, they have won military battles. They had incredible prosperity like the world had almost never seen before. And they had this belief that they were somehow supernaturally protected by God because they were on God's team. It's us. Amos is a prophet that is so interesting in this moment because it's us that he's addressing in many ways, not in every way. Like I said, we have a different relationship with God than with what the Northern Kingdom did. They were covenantially related in a way we are not. But the situation is almost the same. Amos is the first prophet that God sends. A prophet to tell his people, y'all are off track. If you don't get on track, I'm going to destroy you. And I'm going to warn you first. The prophets, major and minor, the 16 prophets of the Old Testament, are not in chronological order. So that will be confusing to you. Because it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos. He's the seventh of the sixteenth, but Amos is actually the first chronologically. So that will help your brain. Amos is the first prophet chronologically. Amos' contemporaries are Hosea. Hosea came right after Amos, about five years later. So Isaiah is almost a couple years later. Jonah is also a contemporary. It says that Jonah uh, was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II also, just slightly later than Amos. So you've got this, God's prophetic word goes out during this moment of prosperity in the northern kingdom. By the way, the southern kingdom was also prosperous at this time too, King Uzziah. Now, why are we learning all this? Is this just a, is this just a class? Is it just, I mean, are we saved by information about the Bible? No. So why are we talking about all this? Because I want you, as we begin our study of Amos for the next few weeks, I want you to understand why it is so important for us to hear the message. Okay? The country and the situation that Amos was sent to was remarkably similar to us. Let me say it again. A country that was founded on godly ideals. A country that has experienced victory in war, that has brought great prosperity and stability for decades. A country that has mixed worship of the true God with false gods. A country that is beginning to experience plagues and difficulties that don't fit with its idea that God has uniquely blessed them. country that is failing to realize that these plagues and difficulties 
may have been sent by God to get their attention and cause them to repent, turn from their sinful ways. And a country that is being warned of God's great wrath and power against sinful nations. Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then we're done. I got two minutes left, four minutes left. Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2. I just want to show you the repetition of these first two chapters. Okay? And then we're going to be, we're going to be done. Amos chapter 1, verse 3. Well, go back to verse 2. <coughs> verse 2, he said, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up on the top of Carmel withers. By the way, Mount Carmel is in the northern country of Israel. It's way up north. Now, I just want you to notice, okay? God is a ferocious roaring lion. I know we like to talk about God as, a, as, as you know, super nice and like with the kids and there's that picture with the kids and yes, that's, that's Jesus. He's, he, Jesus is about love. God is about love. I think we've been overemphasizing God's love for about the past 70 years with no emphasis on judgment. God's both. And he's an infinite amount of both. Throwing that out. Uh, does, does anybody remember what this means? Oh yeah, my Look at the pattern of repetition in Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2. Okay, here we go. Amos chapter 1 verse 3. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Now, by the way, Damascus is not in Israel. It's a foreign country. Verse 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Gaza, even for four. Again, Gaza... Not in Israel. Verse 9. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre. Again, not in Israel. Verse 11. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Edom. Even for four. Again, not Israel. These are the surrounding nations of Israel. Verse 13. For three sins of Ammon. Even for four. I will not turn back my wrath. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Moab. Even for four. And then we get to verse 4 of chapter 2. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Judah. And now he talks about the sins of the southern kingdom. It's a short paragraph. And then verse 6. This is what the Lord says. <coughs> for three sins of Israel. Even for four. Now if you go and you read those two chapters. They are stylistically. Every section is stylistically identical. All you put that all together, and here's what you get. God is not a God just of Israel and Judah. God is a God of all nations. And he judges all sinful nations with righteousness and justice. That's what you get when you read those two chapters together. God judges all nations. But he's, he ends with the northern kingdom of Israel because the rest of Amos is about Israel's sin and God's judgment of that sin, a warning for them to repent if they don't. He's going to destroy them. You know, 
This is not easy for us to hear. We, we like to talk about the happy stories of Jesus, and we should. Jesus is the exact representation of God given to us. But we cannot ignore these stories. And these stories are not just stories, it's what happened. And more to the point, these stories address a situation that is ours today. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are living like the group in Amos. We are living in this period. The golden age of America is over. And we will be destroyed if we do not repent. That's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. And by the way, the end of Amos chapter 9 kind of sums up what I want you to remember. Amos chapter 9 verse 8. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Which sinful kingdom do you think Amos is talking about? Well, he's talking about Israel. But from the first two chapters, here's what we know. He's talking about all sinful kingdoms. God will destroy sinful kingdoms from the face of the earth. So here's the words I want you to remember. In the midst of all that history I just gave, and your mind's blown and you don't even know where to think right now, I want you to remember what I told you before, and then we're done. God is a roaring lion who judges, punishes, and destroys prideful, sinful nations. The words of God are clear. Would you pray with Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. It's hard for us to hear this, Lord, and yet these are your very words that we are reading. You are speaking. Give us ears to hear, but not just to learn information, but to be prodded to change, to repent, to do what we need to do. Lord, to get right with you. Our desire is that we would be a righteous people. We love you. We desperately need you to help us understand. In Jesus' name.